Hey, you're human. What do you do for a living? Like, oh shit, things. What about you? You know? <laughs> I do s stuff. Yeah, stuff and things. Oh wow, that's a lot. So I want to. This is Mike Bassett, and welcome to Legal Grounds Conversations on Life, Leadership, and Law. A little over a week ago, I had one of those aha moments, the kind that really reframes your reality and your place in it. You see, at the beginning of the week, I was sitting in a courtroom defending one of the most difficult cases of my career. I'd spent the past couple of months burning away my nights and weekends for the one thing I love doing most, trying lawsuits. All eyes on the matter at hand and yours truly had to get up in front of a jury and explain why I thought certain things mattered, why they didn't matter, and ultimately what I believe the law owed or didn't owe any of the parties in the case. It was, and always is, an exercise to a degree in logic. However, this is not to say that emotions cannot rule a courtroom. Hell, I've sometimes even let my own do that. But at the end of the day, a jury or judge makes their decision based on the merits of the evidence at trial. And it is no easy thing to be an arbiter of justice. I don't care what role you're playing. So that was the first part of my week. For the second half of my week, I found myself in a very different setting. My mother-in-law's kitchen. And I'm not being trite when I say that finding myself standing at the counter with a sink full of dishes also happened to be a place where I found myself doing something else I loved most, being part of a family. And this wasn't just any old gathering. It was Liz's mom's 80th birthday. That weekend, I got to see four generations of the Bauer family come together from every corner of Texas and celebrate their matriarch in ways big and small. And so I say this without any hubris. As the guy who had spent the first half of the week under the piercing look of Lady Justice, it was nice to be the most unimportant person in the room. That weekend was spent in a sea of people, each with their own unique life story, all of it tying back to this one woman, Frances. Happy birthday again, Mom, if you're listening. And after the week I'd had, it was refreshing to be reminded in a very visual and visceral way that my narrative is just that, mine. And even more comforting was this bigger fact. There's a lot about my narrative that simply doesn't matter. You see, this past weekend, I wasn't Mike the lawyer. I was Mike, Bob's friend that ended up marrying his sister, Liz. I was Uncle Mike, who makes the most cringeworthy dad jokes. And I was the son-in-law who could reach the second shelf without a stool. And I was a dishwasher. For anyone who has entered the realm of leadership, it can be pretty easy to default towards thinking that our problems are the biggest problems because we are responsible for the well-being of others. Not only does this line of thinking make you miserable, after all, who would sign up for a job that said, great opportunities to gain additional burdens, but it also takes something fundamental away from our team, their autonomy. 
Being with my family that weekend reminded me of just not how big the family is, but how each of these people leads in such a wildly different life than the next. And in spite of all the challenges and demands that life has put upon them, each of them showed up to celebrate the one thing we all had in common, a great leader in the form of my mother-in-law. And that's because she does the one great thing that leaders all do. She gets to know people as individuals who also happen to be part of a much greater whole. I tell this story because I know my guest today is all about the little things changing our outlook on the big picture. Nick McGowan is the senior sales executive at Media Lab 3D Solutions, a digital content creation house providing leading edge imaging solutions to the architectural design and consumer products industries. He is also a mindset and self-mastery coach who has worked with everyone from recovering addicts to CEOs to live authentic lives through confronting emotions and effective communication. And as if helping individual clients wasn't enough, Nick is also the host of the Mindset and Self Mastery podcast, where he interviews guests with the goal of improving listeners' lives by exploring the secret gems others have discovered through life so they can achieve greatness without the trial and error others have gone through. And as a previous guest on his podcast, I can say that his passion for helping others grow is genuine. And I couldn't be happier to have him on my show today. Nick McGowan, welcome to Legal Grounds. Man, thank you so much, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to speak with you again. Uh, last conversation we had was epic. Uh, we got into some really great stuff. Um, some things we got into when the big red button wasn't pushed to record. Um, and man, I just want to say thank you for doing what you do. Uh, and thank you for that story in the beginning. That's, that's incredibly powerful. And I'm excited to be here. Well, listen, I appreciate that. So let's talk about family. That's where I'm going to start. Um, you know, family is one of those things, Nick, and maybe you've kind of seen this too. Family is one of those things that can at times drive you crazy and then at times just bring you such great comfort. Have you had those realization moments when you're just part of a bigger, a bigger group of people and you just look around and are just really impressed and awestruck by, by just the group of people that are around you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's also times where I've experienced the opposite of that, where I look around and go, what the f am I doing here with all these people? Uh, and there are certain moments uh, of judgment, you know, just specifically for myself and trying to better myself, et cetera. Uh, it was funny. Uh, I was actually thinking back earlier today, back to my early 20s and how I looked at a certain situation. Uh, it's way different than how I look in my late 30s at that certain situation because it's a different level of person than I am now. It was a different size problem than uh, than it was back then. So I I do find myself looking around shit, even being at a at a grocery store, and looking around at the people that are in the area that live in the area that are in the community, and I wonder what do they do, uh, what are their families like, what are they what are they buying, <laughs> what are they allergic to, you know, like that sort of stuff. My brain will kind of go down that rabbit hole in the sense. But I find that so interesting to think about the idea of the groups of people that you're in, uh, specifically with teamwork, uh, teamwork and the people that are part of a team that you work with. Uh, it's funny because I was actually reading before the podcast, uh, Rework, the book Rework. And they were talking about the section I was going through was about teams and hiring people and who you bring on, who you shouldn't bring on and 
just being real with it. Uh, it's at the core of it. It's about being human and doing the right thing. Uh, so yeah, I have absolutely found myself in those sort of situations. I think I find myself in those situations from time to time more often than I had in the past, uh, probably because of my awareness, you know? And, and something again, I want to come back to is this, it is so refreshing when you are not the person that is the center of attention mm -hmm. and you can sit back. And I think as leaders, we have to be very intentional about sitting in the back of the room, so to speak, and letting others have their space. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot to be said about that. I, uh, even with what I was saying about thinking back to my early twenties, part of that was it where I was trying to get my, my, uh, ground, you know, and trying to get my feet in the ground and figure out what the frig am I trying to do in this life? What do I want to be? <clears throat> and some of what I was doing was just wearing a mask and trying to be, you know, over the top in some ways where now I, I love being in those situations where I can just kind of hang out and be and serve and help. And, you know, I don't, I don't mind being the dishwasher in that sort of situation or just, you know, kind of palling around with people and then them going, well, what do you do? You know, oh, well, this is the position I'm at or what have you. And it shouldn't be about titles or any of that bullshit. It should be about people being people. So let me ask you this. When people ask you what you do for a living, because people do, what do you say? A whole lot. And I <laughs> usually turn the table and say, well, what do you do? What are you doing these days? Anything fun, exciting? I like to get into conversation with people. And, you know, I can rattle off certain things, but as you kind of rattle off what I do in 3D world, most people, when I bring up that I'm in 3D or mindset coaching or podcast, they're like, so you talk about printing and you interview people? I'm like, well, no, not, but kind of, but no. Um, so it's in those sort of situations when people are asking, like when you think of like the speed dating in a sense where they're like, hi, I'm Johnny. I do so-and-so. What do you do? Hi, Johnny. I do a lot of things. What are you up to these days, Johnny? Anything fun, <laughs> exciting? Johnny's like, yeah. And he gets into it. You know, most people love to talk about themselves. And there are things that I know so much stuff about me, but I don't know a lot about the other person. And honestly, Mike, I think that's what kind of led me to the podcast. Now, I, I think I'd mentioned this to you before, but some of my coaching clients that I had, we get into some really deep, deep, deep stuff. Uh, but being able to have those open conversations with people like you do in a podcast environment where we can break things down and kind of have that own little niche that attracts people uh, that are into those sort of things. That's what I think it's about. And honestly, you don't know, you don't know who's around you that would be in that sort of stuff. Um, actually, you know, Mike, it reminds me of the conversation that you and I had because I think we were shooting the shit about heavy metal at the end of it. Yes. And I was like, what? I didn't know you were a metalhead. This is beautiful. We kind of went down that path. And I think I told you a story about how I straight up judged a guy uh, who... At a conference that you thought was frumpy, bro. Yeah. Frumpy. Yeah. And I, I was... I just instantly judged and was like, this guy is just not going to be helpful for anything. And... I don't think we're going to have anything to talk to him about. And here's a short version of the story, everyone. So I was at this conference. This guy works for the company who was putting on the conference. Big conference. And it's a leadership conference. So these are all C-level, V-level people that are there. And then good old bearded me wandered around trying to sell things in 3D. Um, and just schmoozing, boozing, having a great conversation. I needed to get something for a client of mine. We were meeting and all. And I had to go talk to this guy. And I started judging. I'm thinking this is, you know, BS, whatever. So I get up 
start talking to the guy. I'm like, hey, I need this thing, that thing. Can you help me with this? And by the way, how's your, how's your week going so far? I'm just trying to be human. And uh, he was like, good. You know, it was a little crazy because last week, I think he said last week or the week before, he was out on a vacation. I was like, oh, that's cool. Where are you at? You know, we're still basically shooting the shit. And he's like, oh, I was out, um, I was out at some club in Seattle, seeing some, some little band. I was like, okay, well, I'm a musician. He doesn't know this. And I'm like, what little band? And he just winds up and tells me it's Spirit Box. For those of you who don't know Spirit Box, go look it up now. The Spirit Box album, Eternal Blue, I played it out. If, it, if I had the actual CD, it would be like the Deftones albums from when I was a kid. And I had to take them all back to the wall and get brand new CDs because I played them all out. This guy just totally spun on me and was like, yeah, man, I'm a big metalhead. And instantly, I saw him differently. And I realized that I judged, you know. So just taking that from there and being uh, <laughs> in some ways, putting my tail between my legs and walking away and being like, wow, that was a lesson for me. And that was a, a stupid little thing that no one else in the world knew about until I told you and you know other people, etc. But in that moment, no one knew. And it was only just for me to be able to look at it and go, oh, shit, you never know what's behind somebody's eyes until you actually have a conversation and ask. So again, when people ask me, what do you do? I kind of rattle off something relatively quick. And if somebody's like, yeah, that's cool, and they go back to it, then I'll explain what I do and get into it. But then I know it's also going to be a better conversation than somebody being like, hey, you're human. What do you do for a living? <laughs> like, oh, shit, things. What about you? You know? <clears throat> I do s stuff. Yeah, stuff and things. Oh, wow, that's a lot. So I want to, so let's, I want to, Backpedal even further back, because um, your your life takes a lot of twists and turns before you end up where you are today, literally, literally and, and figuratively. Yeah. So, to the extent you feel comfortable, share with us where did you grow up and what was your childhood like. <laughs> uh, so I'm pretty much an open book, and I will try to keep this as quick and succinct as possible. But I can't guarantee it will happen. Uh, so you start off with this epic story about family and doing your duty and then doing your family duty and being able to step aside and just look around and go, it's all because of this one lady and because these people made this decision back at some point. <clears throat> family has always been interesting to me. Um, honestly, uh, growing up, I was, I was that little punk kid. Uh, my mom was the little skater chick and she was the baby of seven. And all of the older siblings were a lot older. Like, I think my mom's oldest sister was three or four years older than both of my grandparents on my dad's side. <clears throat> so my mom has, uh, I think, nieces and nephews that are older than her. It's, Got it. it's weird. It's like that sort of situation. But she was the baby, and then the baby had a baby, and they were just two black sheep babies is basically what we were. Um, that was with my mom. My mom and dad were never really together. Uh, basically, a party happened. About a year later, my dad found out, hey, you got a three-month-old, and he kind of fucking looks like you, so uh, it might be yours. Um, <clears throat> one of those sort of situations. And uh, the family was a little weird just kind of from the get-go because of those sort of things. Uh, I, I often sort of joke, but I'm pretty serious when I say this. I pretty much grew up in one of those rich dad, poor dad situations. But it was really... Rich dad, poor mom sort of things. Um, 
I don't like saying poor mom because she wasn't, but it was some of it was mindset wise. Some of it was also the actual amount of currency she was bringing in. Uh, so we lived in this tiny apartment growing up. You bounced around from different apartment to different apartment. And then my dad's house, he had a big house. He and his wife made hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. They weren't crazy rich, but they were upper middle class. So I would literally go from a tiny little closet of a bedroom <clears throat> to a big bedroom with a pool and all this other stuff <clears throat> and seeing kind of the dichotomy of that from an early age. I'm wondering, how do they have these things? And she doesn't. And then seeing kind of the way that they interacted. My mom never had any other kids. She didn't even get married until she was close to 60 or so. <clears throat> so she got married a couple years ago. My dad, on the other hand, had two other kids, got married, and his wife, my stepmom, I was basically her first because the second child came when I was five, and then the next came when I was eight. So my brother and sister, Chris and Lexi, I don't consider them half brother or sister, um, but they grew up differently than I did, and they didn't have that same experience that I did until a little later in life. So I think it was around, my brother was maybe 16, my sister was 13. My dad and his wife got a divorce. They got separated at least. I think they got a divorce a couple years later, but uh, they got a divorce, she moved out and that, that was different to them. And I remember having a conversation with my brother and he was like, I don't know, it was a 16 year old kid, kind of drunk and you know pissed off and all of that and just being like, but fuck, you don't get it. And I remember looking at him square in the face being like, you fucking kidding me? I've lived this for years and I didn't mean it in a way of like, no, my shit is worse than yours, but I meant it as like, I do get it. So I'm here to let's talk through this and work through this because it's tough to be able to go through that. And then there were a couple of years where I, I lost touch with them. I lost touch with that entire side of my family, literally throughout all of high school. I just didn't talk to them anymore. Had some weird, crazy falling out with my dad, and my stepmom. At one point, I basically said, screw off, flipped them off and went to my mom's house. And then I got there in the closet, and, yeah, like the little bedroom. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? Why did I do that? <laughs> and it's a big ass house. These people are fucking crazy over there, but what? You know, and I, I'm not a regretful person, but I look at that and go, all right, well, I needed to be able to step outside of that situation and step into something where I had to figure stuff out on my own. Like my mom helped, but she was trying to figure stuff out. She jokes that uh, we grew up together. And I kind of looked at her as, um, this is a little weird, but I looked at her as like an older sister who loved me, but our mom died or something. And she just kind of got stuck and had to take care of me. That's how it felt when I was younger and in high school. And we had such a terrible relationship, like just didn't even want to be anywhere near each other. However, at this point, I have a great relationship with my mom and dad because I fucking worked on it and I've been real with them and I've had to have deep conversations. There have been many conversations with bourbon in our hands or, you know, something else, talking through some things and being like, yo, back in the day, I was an asshole and I'm sorry. And here's why. Here's what happened. Here's what I was going through, etc. So my situation with my family now is much different, much better. But I think they also have realized that I don't need them. It's, it's a choice to be able to be around with them. And I want to be around with them at times. Now, I live a thousand plus miles away from basically all of my family. 
uh, when I was married, half of my family was here in Florida. But uh, when I got the divorce, I no longer have that family. So the rest of my family, my natural family, is all up in Pennsylvania. They're a thousand miles away. And I get to see them every so often, but it's, it's great now. Like even, even this morning, my, uh, my brother got plane tickets and tickets for Epcot and a uh, hotel room and stuff like that for us. Uh, and we have this big group message going and he just sent me a message, sent all of us and was like, Hey, this is what you guys owe. This is what's happening. This is where we're flying in all of that. They're coming in at the end of the month. And I absolutely love that. And it's way different than what I thought it would have been when I was a shitty little kid who was honestly a hurt kid, just hurting kids and hurting other people because I didn't understand exactly what was going on or how to communicate. Uh, within myself or with other people like think about it now like the intelligence that you have and the art of communication that you've figured out on your own if you if you could be able to talk the way that you do now Mike as a little kid you'd have been like hmm well this thing really sucks and here's exactly why it sucks and what I'm gonna do about it I'm gonna change that moving forward but as a seven-year-old you're like shit <sighs> all of my dinosaurs they're all ruined what do I do you know so it's a little different you said something i want to pick up on and, and i believe this a a catholic deacon said this in a homily one time hurting people hurt yeah it's so true big time now big time. i think the key is to separate yourself and your feelings mm -hmm. from the person i won't say inflicting but sending the words or saying the things because at the end of the day, this is another one of my theories, although I'm not a psychologist, I do stay at a Holiday Inn Express. Those things come from a place of insecurity and fear. You agree? Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's and, like when people get pissed off, somebody cuts them off. And that person flips them off, and they flip them off, and they're both just two pissed off, irate people driving. That person probably got into an argument with their husband or wife or something happened and they're pissed and now they're taking it off on somebody else and it's just a fucking domino effect well and i yeah i tell people here in texas you don't ever flip anybody off not in texas you don't yeah yeah because yeah, it's a carry state here i want to come back to this family thing because i think it's very unique we didn't talk about this a lot on 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 your show mm -hmm. but you know i grew up my old man split before i was born hmm. he split before i was born so i was raised you know, by a woman who had a kid in 1961 at the age of 40, hmm. at the age of 40. And so my old man used to tell me this completely politically incorrect. But what my old man would say, he'd say, Michael, you know, women at 40, when they have kids, either they're usually mentally deficient or they're brilliant. I'm still trying to figure out what you are. That wow. is the kind of house I grew up in. Jeez. How about that? Or when I would go in and tell him, Herbie, I'm afraid you know, I'm afraid of the dark. He would say, listen, when they take you and get you in the light, they're bringing you back. <laughs> Man. Jeez. So did he wake up and just think, oh, how am I going to fuck with this kid today? I you know what? Here, here's the deal. He had, I was the baby. If I, they adopted me, I was the fifth adopted kid. I was adopted. And so by the time I came around, he's just having fun. <laughs> he was just having fun. Jeez. So you have this experience and an experience you've lived with. Tell me yeah. today, today, this week, how has that experience manifested itself in the way you've treated somebody else? Uh, it, it's going to tie into a little bit more than just this week. Uh, so I got a divorce about a year ago. 
That's where we're going to start. So I got okay. a divorce about a year ago, and we were together for about eight years. Do I cue um, the down music? Or are we, no, we going to? No, okay, it, good. Totally good. Yeah. Okay. So it's funny because people, um, people will be like, oh, I, uh, I'm sorry. Or are you okay? Like they don't know what to say in that sort of situation. But it's funny. The people who have gotten divorced are like, oh, how are you? Well, I'm good. All right, cool. Well, what's next? The sure. others that haven't, they're like, oh, and they start to crumble. Different story. But I, I appreciate where, that, where their hearts are. The reason why I bring that up is because that eight-year relationship was way different than any other relationship that I ever had. Think about it. Any sort of long-term romantic intimate relationship that you have is vastly different than a friendship or a loved one or family member or something like that. But there are things that I learned from being a child and growing up in the family situation that I then took into a marriage because you go through all these dates and all the different people and then you get married and you do things that are still part of who you are as a child. Mm -hmm. So I remember early on in that relationship, fucking losing my mind about something, but I wasn't really losing my mind about it. I was just being animated and uppity. And I would just blame that on me being from Philly because honestly, it was just an easy excuse. Like you say it and people are like, oh yeah, the New York and Philly people, they're all fucking nuts. So yeah, they're going to go crazy. Um, and my ex-wife was from Florida. She was not from the North at all. I mean, she grew up in Virginia for a bit, but that's not really the North. Um, and I remember her telling me like, oh, that's just not going to work. I shut down when that stuff happens. And I remember there was a moment early in our marriage where I was like, huh, but I was taught this way. This is how you show that you care, or this is how you show that I am here with you and I'm gonna do this thing with you and you yell and scream and you throw shit. I was like, huh, so that doesn't work with you? Like at all? <laughs> She's like, no, in fact, it, it actually deters me. I'm like, huh. I need to change this then, you know? And I remember actually having like one of those simpleton moments where I was like, oh, yeah, I need to do something different. And being able to take that in a different direction. Fast forward eight years or whatever now, let's say I was a year in at that point. Um, being divorced for a year, I look at things different, uh, being on my own and looking from the perspective of, I don't have to have a conversation with somebody else about anything else. And again, I get to choose the people that I want to have in in my life with me and that I want to be in their lives with them. And I really think that um, the things that I grew up, the way that I grew up and the situations that I've gone through from being a baby all the way through middle and high school and then through my 20s and early 30s and now where I'm at, it all compounds no matter what. But it's a matter of actually doing something with it. Like there's still people that I, I see from, you know, high school, um, or from the old neighborhood, I'll see them on Facebook or Instagram or something like that, and uh, they're friends with somebody else or whatever, and I'll see they're bitching and complaining about something or just being kind of how they were before. And then there are other people that I remember them being of a negative mindset, probably because I was a shitty kid at that point too, and they're, they're beautiful. They're in incredible spots. I had a guy reach out to me recently who was a big, big bully when I was in high school, and he was a big dude, and he was just an asshole. And he was a hurt kid, hurting kids. And he messaged me on Facebook, uh, I don't know, a couple, couple weeks ago, a month or two ago, something like that at this point. I was just like, hey man, I know this is out of the blue, but I just want to say I'm sorry. I've thought through a lot of the stuff and I was an asshole to you and kind of walked through that. I remember thinking how I reply back to this could really make or break what happens after that. 
it would be easy to reply back and be like, yeah, you were a douchebag. Fuck off, block. But that's not who I am. You know, back in the day, I used to think, yeah, if I ever talked to that guy again, that would have been one of those situations. But I remember I, I just leaned in on that and loved the guy where he was because that's huge. I mean, Mike, honestly, I get chills just thinking about this shit as, we t as I talk about it because that, that is growth. How many people do you know carry around big sacks of crap like that through their lives? Many, 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 many more than I think people actually uh, attest to. There are people that I think their actual bodies hurt, and it's not because their body actually hurts. It's not like they're going to the gym and working it. Like, my ass hurts right now, but I fucking went at it this morning at the gym, so I expected to hurt a bit. Then there's some people that they just hurt because they hurt and it all starts up here in the head and then it fuels and kind of goes through the rest of the body and just aches and pains and those things just build up years upon years upon years. But honestly, Mike, I think the simplest thing is understanding that it all, all of it stems from your childhood, all of it. Because the shit that you haven't worked through and you haven't actually gotten through I think a lot of people callous over it. They just keep putting like sediment over top of it, over top of it, over top of it. And then they can't find what was that problem. They're just dealing with symptoms and trying to fix symptoms and just getting irritated at life because the symptoms aren't fucking fixing the problem. Right. So I'm going to talk about you. I'm going to pivot to your your upbringing, but zoom out just a little bit more, because when I look at the jobs you've had, you're kind of a renaissance man. OK. Utilities, the auto industry, media creation, consulting. You were a property manager for a while. Hmm. Okay, so that's kind of varied. Um, how does that help you or hurt you in your current job? All of it uh, has really helped me hone in on what it is that I want to do. Okay. You know, I think to the creative side, uh, it, people that are artists or musicians or basically anything that falls into artistry uh, it can be easy to just put us in a box and say we're creatives but i do think there's a type of person that has more of that creative mind that looks at things creatively and i know i fit into certain aspects of that so i feel a lot of things like i've had people tell me you could sell anything growing up my mom used to tell me you can sell ketchup popsicle to a lady in a white dress with white gloves and i remember thinking that's the fucking weirdest thing in the world why is anybody selling ketchup popsicles? Why are they even made? You know, like this is this is crazy. Um, but if I don't give a shit, I don't give a shit and I don't want to sell those things or do those things. So even when I think my first job was as a dishwasher at some little diner in my in my town. And then I went from job to job, 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 to job. And people at first were like, oh, you're just hopping from thing to thing to thing. Like, yeah, in some ways, I was an ADHD-driven creative kid. Uh, but I look back at it now and I realize that, oh, when there were things that I actually cared about and I wanted to do, I was all in. I was in more than anybody else because I was deeply passionate about it. So what I've understood over the course of time is to look for those things that I'm deeply passionate about and see, does it make sense to be able to go this route? You know, there's kind of that, um, and I might take a little bit of a sidestep here. Sure. But there are, um, there are certain people that will say, don't follow your passions. You can understand. Like, if you are super passionate about something, but you're terrible at it, it's probably going to take you a little longer, if not a lot longer, to be able to do that thing proficiently 
and then be better at it, make money, et cetera, et cetera. But I think if you don't care about something and you're just going after a job or some sort of career just for the money, future you is going to hate you for that because future you is going to look back and go, what, what happened? Why did I just give up? So I do think that there are, are places in, in time where things happen, where we get to make that decision of what do I want to do and where do I want to jump to or do I not want to jump? And you got to be real and honest with yourself. Like, look, no matter what situation, if it's your company, if you work for a company or whatever, there's always going to be ups and downs. And, you know, when I was a little younger, I may have jumped from some of those and been like, man, I'm done. That's it. But I realized that those things weren't actually aligned because the other things that I got into, the other projects or companies I started working with, when shit happened, I would go, all right, well, how do we fix this? How do we get through it? What do we do? How do I not kill that person? How do I make sure that this goes this direction or what do I need to do differently? Now, if I didn't care and I didn't want to go do those things, none of that would have mattered. None of those conversations would have come through. I would have been like, all right, it's time to jet. So I think for the audience to be able to understand what's happening and what you actually want, understand that you may just be a couple steps behind where you want to get to. And this is just one of those steps. So I've taken a lot of steps over the course of time. I've also been very open to opportunities. I think there are some times where we can just get so tunnel vision. We're like, this is the thing I do because this is who I am. Like I am this person. Like Mike, you are a lawyer, but I know you're more than that. And there are other people that just take that career, that thing that they have, and they go, this is me. And if you take that thing away, you take me away. But I think if we understand, if you take anything away, it shouldn't take you away. And if you understand who you are first, then nothing can really be taken away from you. So it makes me think of a book I read on the way back um, from San Jose called Strength to Strength. Have you mm -hmm. seen it? I have not. Dude, we're going we're gonna to link it in the show notes. And one of the things that is talked about <clears throat> is this concept of what I call benign indifference. Mm -hmm. You know, you can want things, you can be passionate about things, but okay, if it works, that's great. If not, that's fine. And then the cousin of that is, and I think it's an addiction that a lot of people have is, I'm identified by my job or by who I am or about my position. Yeah. And, and, you know, like you said, if you chase money, the problem is there's always somebody, always somebody with more. You know, if, if you judge yeah. your life by how big your jet is, I hate to break it to you, Scooter, there's somebody with a bigger jet. Yeah. Right? Man. Yeah, you're totally but, right. But, but this is all of us, and this is my theory, and I want your thought on it. All of us, we're, we're addicted to something. Oh, yeah. I, before we go down the addiction path, actually, I guess this kind of goes along with that. Um, the putting your identity into something can be part of that addiction, too. Right. And I do think that there are people in the world, and I've met only a couple of them, that you can say, this thing should be done this way. And they go, okay, cool. And they go off and do it. Most other people are like, oh, I hear you. That sounds beautiful, but I'm not going to do a damn thing like that and they go do their own thing. <clears throat> I'm typically like one of those people too. I like to find out what did you do wrong? What can I do different? But I still have to actually get in and like basically get myself punched in the mouth a couple of times and be like, oh, shit, all right. That, that didn't work. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. What do I do now? I don't want to break my jaw. Uh, so I realized that I had, so I've had a couple companies over the course of time. For the most part, I was partners with those companies 
And the last company that I had prior to Nick McGowan Enterprises was specifically with my ex-in-laws. The three of us were partners. And I remember we built a company that I felt like I had built 40 or 50 foot walls all around me because my identity was in it. I was the entrepreneur. We had done all these great things. It was all marketing and digital and like all these buzzwords. I could feel like they were just attached to me. And honestly, Mike, it brought me to the point where I really thought the only way to get out of that was to just leave here and no longer be on earth. Mm. And I remember getting to a point where I was looking was looking outside of the window of my beautiful condo overlooking this giant like nine block park and just wanting to jump out the window and there was a moment where i was like this is beautiful that's not you know like wanting to jump out is crazy but i think i had to actually go through that to understand that i had tied myself into this so much that i needed to start unraveling myself from that and that was only a piece of that unraveling. Once sure. I ended up leaving the state that we were in, moving to a different state, I ended up leaving the company and I, I spent three months unraveling and working through things. And I thought I got through a lot of it, but that was six years ago. The unraveling is still happening. Even when I went through a divorce, the unraveling is still happening, but I am no longer that. I'm no longer who I was and tied to that by my identity at all that I remember feeling like I can't get out of this because we built this thing and this is who I am and if I'm not this who am I well I guess I'm nobody mm. and I remember it actually hit me at one point where I was like well I'm either going to jump or um, or or what I was like there's there's no you're going to jump there's or you're going to go do something different so figure this shit out I was like, all right, and I had to basically parent myself. But even in that sense, like where you brought up how your dad would in some ways be like, basically put dirt on it, get back into the game. There was, there was an understanding that right now I needed to be picked up by the other side and kind of marched along through and you get my drunk ass through it in a sense. Right. Um, and then be able to actually sit down and work through what happened before. So when I took a three month sabbatical, no joke, Mike, I took the first two weeks and just screwed around. I just stepped away, you know, sat outside, I lived in Florida. So I went near water because it was everywhere. Um, then when the mosquitoes bit, I went back home, that sort of deal. But I remember just trying to just get away from who I was in all of that. And then I actually stepped into what is happening and what am I feeling right now? And started to become aware of all of that and then go back through and actually just take an inventory of what is inside of me what's destroying my passion, my dreams, all of that, and actually getting to the root of it. And that's why I said earlier, I think it all basically ties back to trauma from when we were children. And I had to go back and actually sit in my mind's eye with little Nick and go, this situation you're in right now is weird and disturbing and shouldn't have happened, but I got you and we're good. That was a wild thing to actually go back and do that. And it's still part of the unraveling. I still kind of work through some of that stuff. So all of that, we tie into our identity. We tie into anything that we are. Should I, I easily say to people, I'm from Philly and this is how I am, etc." That's part of the identity. But if you remove that, if you removed it before, I wouldn't have known who I was. Now you remove that 
I still know who I am, but I'll be honest, I'm not a fucking guru or none of that. I'm still evolving. There's still continuing ed that I need to go through to be able to understand this stuff. But there were tough times where um, it was literally life or death. I mean, just as a quick little side note, I also overdosed on heroin when I was 19. So I had to learn from that to go, oh, shit, I didn't die. So now what do I do? Mm. So there are a couple moments in time that have happened that have made me look at things different. But I'll be honest with you, Mike, if I didn't actually look at those things differently, we wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have this conversation with you. You and I would never know each other. And nobody would ever have heard the Mindset and Self Mastery show or Legal Grounds with Nick McGowan on it as a guest. You know what I mean? So I just wouldn't have happened. So uh, you talk about this. You didn't use the word, but I'm going to use it, this vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And as men... I think sometimes that's really tough. Yeah. Tell me, and because and I, I really am interested in this, the percentages of time where you have been vulnerable, where you have shared your vulnerability, whether it's telling the story about wanting to end your life or overdosing with heroin or whatever it was, when you showed your vulnerability, what percentage of time have people kicked you in the teeth like you thought they would versus people have lifted you up? Because I've got a percentage that I can tell you in my mind. I want to see what yours is. Well, the kick me in the teeth when has, you have been most vulnerable yeah the kick me in the teeth hasn't happened the made me feel more vulnerable and awkward happened but that's not a them problem that's a me problem like uh there was a friend my best friend in the entire world we had a situation years and years and years ago at a big um like personal growth conference like basically a tony robbins conference sort of deal uh and we had to share something vulnerable and i remember sharing something with him and he jokingly was like, oh, come on, man, you know, whatever he said in that moment. But I remember feeling so vulnerable in that space. And I was like, oh, you of all people. And we've since talked about that and have joked about it because I was in that space where I was hyper vulnerable and said something. He didn't kick me in the teeth, though. But that's the only thing that comes to mind, because really, that's, I think, the beauty of being vulnerable. You you make up all this bullshit you think oh my god everybody's gonna tear me apart they're gonna think i'm terrible they're gonna think i'm a loser they're gonna think whatever mm -hmm. that's never really the case however i think part of it's also the delivery like if you're just gonna bitch about something then yeah people don't want to hear you bitch they just straight up don't i mean some people enjoy it i get that miserable people love miserable company but if you're processing and venting through something and talking about something and being honest and open and working through it then that does so much more good than we actually understand that it does. Even though there's a lot of talk just about being open and vulnerable and the good it does for people, I don't think people really get it until it actually hits them. And that's part of the beauty of these podcasts. And you think about, let's say a couple years from now, collectively we have hundreds of episodes, all these different conversations and all these different people. It's not like you can take one listener and go, oh, all of these made sense to you, right? It'd probably be like, no, this episode, this episode, and then this one. This was the one that meant everything to me. Because these are literally just conversations for that one person to be able to mm -hmm. hear that thing and go, oh man, I can relate, I understand. I too want to do something different. And that's honestly, Mike, where I try to be as fucking real and honest as, as who I can be. Because I hear some shit sometimes where people are just so businessy. I don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore at all. And they say all these things that are just bullshit words. Like, I'd rather them just burp. 
you know, <laughs> like if you're going to say some bullshit word, just burp or something, something else. Um, but I really think that the, the opportunities that we have, not as just us guests and hosts, uh, but just in the normal day to day conversations, being honest, open and vulnerable, it's crucial. But don't bitch about it. Process it. Vent. You know, the thing that comes to mind is not everybody is worthy of your vulnerability. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You got to be mindful of who you give it to. Right. You know, it's not like you want to walk past somebody on the street and be like, hey, oh, when I'm let seven, me tell I'm you touched. So. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, who the fuck? Get away from me. So in one of your medium articles, you write about this concept of the perfect becoming the enemy of the good. And it's actually a funny story. So I want to start with you telling the story. Then I have a couple of questions I want to follow up on. Well, it is kind of a funny story, but it's also a little bit of a terrifying story. Um, not like some big, hairy, scary monster comes out and kills a community, but uh, in some ways it kind of is. So in Florida, uh, for those of you who don't live in Florida, we're not just all Florida man, though I'm a man in Florida, uh, and alligators and craziness, but there are crazy looking bugs. And we have wasps that I swear like the size of like a toddler's arm. And <laughs> in the community I live in, we have like this little nook up to where my door is. And then there's a little nook right in front of my door. And these giant fucking wasps love to try to build mansions in these nooks. And at one point, um, I noticed that in between my door and the screen door, there's like two inches or an inch and a half of space. And these giant wasps are creating nests in either corner. So think about it. Somebody is creating a home right above your door. You open the door and a homeless man just drops. Wouldn't you lose your mind? Wouldn't you just freak out? What the fuck are you doing? Get out of my house. So I open the door. The screen door is not open or not, uh, not closed because, you know, I don't need to, except for these damn wasps. So I open the door and this wasp just drops and is staring at me. And this thing, no joke, like, Mike, you can see my hand. It was legit like my ring finger and just looking at me like, the fuck are you going to do? I was like, what? I slammed the door and start screaming like a little girl with a skinned knee. And I was like, this is crazy. I need to fix these things. And I thought about it. The, the door... The doorknob itself on my door is a big knob and it's got one of the like power locks and all that shit, fancy schmancy bullshit. Um, but the screen door actually won't shut because the doorknob is a little too large. So I'd have to like finagle it, slowly shut it and slowly shut the door every time. And I was like, this is bullshit. And I was afraid to walk out of my house. So I was like, I need to go to the <laughs> It's like a Sunday afternoon or something. And this fucking wasp is staring at Holding me. you hostage. Yeah. And then I finally got out. Noticed there were like three or four of them because they're all like, where are we going to move to now? That guy right above his house. And I was like, this is stupid. So uh, short story long, I got some uh, little metal hooks because I was like, how can I shut this actual door without making it one looked like friggin' trash because I don't want to like pull this thing, like jam it in there. None of that have to do that every single time. So I bought these little hooks and I'm looking around. I'm like, what can I use with this little hook to be able to hook this thing on? And there's like this little knob that you can move up and down to be able to uh, basically size up the size of the, uh, the screen or whatever. So I see this knob. I was like, oh, I can, get the, I can get something to hook to 
the door and this little hook and I'm sitting here like all right I'm gonna do this thing but I don't know what I'm gonna do like if there was a video camera people would have been watching it like what the fuck is wrong with this guy just get out of your house so I found this little carabiner in like I don't know the junk drawer you know like everybody's got a junk drawer I just yep. stick my hand in there and I'm like what the fuck is all this and, all right I found a carabiner and I put that little carabiner there and it's got just enough space like a little bit maybe half inch or about an inch of open space that the wasps don't actually come through so i had to spray i got rid of their houses i was basically standing out front of my house just screaming at them like yeah <laughs> you know because <laughs> because they hear too the yelling helped oh, i'm sure no it helped me fuck them wasps <laughs> it helped me uh, so spraying it i had the entire place i had to get like a shower after because i was even covered in this shit and all sweaty i'm like oh my god um and then i finally closed the door and put that little lock on there or at least what i was calling a locked little carabiner and it hit me i was like man there's a part of me that would think that's one of the most white trash things ever to do especially in a nice community uh, but it looks all right it's totally fine it did the job i was like i could spend money to have this whole thing fixed and change out the lock and the doorknob and all that but it's for these stupid little wasps and i i had to be okay with it just being good and good enough and i i thought the story of it was pretty funny because i was losing my mind not thinking about oh i'm gonna write a blog post about this and we're gonna talk about this on some show at some point i was just like how do i not get murdered by these homeless wasps that are trying to create a home right in front of my door and to this day, it's still it's still there and makes me kind of chuckle. So it's funny that you bring that up, because when I see that and I walk out of my front door, it's literally eye level as I walk out and I'm reminded of that as I go out to go to the gym or go to the store or do what ha whatever. I'm reminded that you just got to do the good thing. It doesn't have to be perfect because I've always stemming back to when I was a little kid. I thought, man, I got to be perfect. I got to be the best to be loved on both sides of this family. I got to do everything perfect. Then at one point I realized, fuck, I'm not going to be perfect. Then I started to just go backwards and give up. And now I look at that stuff and I think, you know, this is a funny little story. And, uh, and something that I can clearly look at every single day and understand that I don't have to be perfect. But I do need to keep moving and keep thinking about different things. How often do you think high-performing people get wound up in the perfect, literally being the enemy of the good? More than they want to tell you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because I, I know even for me, there are times where I think of uh, things that are happening that I want to do, and I get upset because I don't have all the answers right now. Like, we're going to let the cat out of the bag here there, Mike, but I'm actually going to start showing people and teaching people how to set up their own podcasts how to run a podcast because i've had people come to me and say hey you've done the show can you show me how to do it other people have said hey, you should teach people how to do this thing so i sit down i start to think through it maybe two weeks ago i was like oh i'll spend four hours i'll drink a bunch of coffee i'll just go through it knock it out 15 minutes in i'm like what is going on because i was getting i was getting really really frustrated i almost said fucking frustrated and there i said it I was getting really frustrated with myself because I didn't have it all figured out. And then I had to understand, yo, you just started thinking through this. And it gave me an opportunity to be able to look back through, what have you already done? Mm. The reason why I'm doing this is because I've done this. And I just need to think through what that looks like. So I think there are a lot of people that 
they won't tell you that they're they're getting caught on those things but i do think you can tell you can look for that sort of stuff in situations like different let's say you're on a small team and you've got a project manager or somebody that's doing something producing something for you you can see when they're getting frustrated and when they're getting really really flustered if it's something they're working through or if it's something they're just that's eating at them and i think that's a that's a sign mm -hmm. yeah i can think back it's the old we worry so much about just getting started yeah. and so much of it is just getting like you said getting something on paper i had a meeting this morning a breakfast meeting this morning and i and i had to have talking points and i sat down with a cup of coffee with a stack of note cards and it was prob it felt like an hour it was probably three and a half minutes mm -hmm. that nothing came to mind and then i just started writing yeah and you know what i made the meeting i had more than enough note cards and the project got done yep but but what got me wrapped around the axle was i had to be able to start writing and in my mind never stop writing until i put a period on the last sentence and it was magnum opus right it was mm -hmm. the best work of art in the world <laughs> when good enough was good okay so as we wrap up because we could go on and on i'm i'm curious about what your path to being a mindset coach looks like okay what was it that made you make the decision to say you know what I'm going to devote my time and energy to helping other people. Was there a moment? Was there a season? What was it? A little of column A and a lot of column B. There were moments and there were seasons, uh, some of which I'd already talked about. Right. The divorce, um, leaving my companies, uh, just different craziness that's happened, Shit, even overdosing on heroin. Uh, I had to get through all of that on my own and in a mental capacity, in a spiritual capacity, physical capacity, to get through a lot of that. And I, it was all compounded. It's taken years to get to that point. You know, it's funny, because when I first started to become a coach, I actually started down the path of music. I'm a musician, I record music, I play music, and I wanted to get deeper into it. So I found a coach that was doing mastering for like Kanye, uh, I think Weezer, a ton of other people. And he was teaching people how to become a mastering engineer. So I signed up for his uh, coaching. I wanted to become a mastering engineer. We're having conversations. I was like, I saw how you built your community, but I would love to know how you've done that and what I can do from there. And we started talking about things. And I was like, yeah, I think I want to help people that are more on the music side. And we had some deep, really great conversations. And he was like, I got to be honest with you, man. That's all bullshit. That's all just you thinking about it. If you think from the core of what you have really gone through. It's about actually coaching and working with people from a spiritual side and from a mental capacity. And he challenged me. He was like, you need to think through that and feel through that, pray about it, kind of work through it, have those conversations with yourself and close people. And you know, Mike, I always get into conversations with people about deep things take me to any sort of random bar and leave me there for an hour or two hours later, I'll come back with a bunch of fucking crazy awesome stories from random people that have just opened up. It's just how it's always been because that's how I am, uh, which not only led to the coaching, but ultimately led to the show, the podcast. And really the podcast is where I'm spending most of my time. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Mike, I'm only taking on two new clients 
coaching clients, one-on-one clients for the rest of the year. That's it. Next year, I might go down to one. I might stay at two. Because for the most part, I think there's a lot more good that I can do with the podcast and being able to get things out than just doing the one-on-one or even some of the smaller group, the three to five people that are in those groups. There are things that I really believe masterminds can help you with outside of the podcast and all, and we haven't brought this up, but I also am a leader of the Powerhouse Men Brotherhood. So it's a men's group, and it's basically a mastermind for men that are fighting against mediocrity and want to understand what it's like to be a man and not just the put dirt on it and get back in the game sort of situation. Um, So I I really think, um, I think a lot of it has compounded to help me really get out of my own way and be able to help. Uh, I've been called to do that. And honestly, Mike, I fought with it for years. I mean, uh, not to get religious or spiritual with it, but there were times where I had many conversations with God. I'm like, why are you leading me in this direction? Am I just being an asshole? Like, did I do something wrong? I, I don't like people. And that's bullshit because I was a hurt kid who was hurting people. And that's why I didn't think I liked people. And now I understand that it's, it's not really about me. It's about the things that I've been through and that I can help others with. Um, so I think it's a long, long way around the answer, but there, there's the answer to it. No, <clears throat> I like it. And you wouldn't be the first person in the history of time that has said, why are you choosing me? And we can go down that list. <laughs> yeah. uh, so my last two questions, if people dig what they're hearing uh, and even if they're maybe one of the one or two clients that you take on this year, but they want to learn more about you and the stuff you're putting out there. What is the best way for folks to contact you, Nick? Best way is to go to nickmcgowan.com. That's N-I-C-K-M-C-G-O-W-A-N.com. From there, you can get to the podcast. You can connect directly with me. You can talk to somebody on my team. Um, and if you want to check out the show, I'd appreciate that as well. It's called The Mindset and Self Mastery Show. You can go to the Mindset and Self Mastery Show.com. Just Google it. You'll find all the Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all that. YouTube, we have hundreds of videos and shorts and full episodes that are up there too. So I'd say check that out. So, people that just want to fast forward to the end, um, what do you say to the folks out there? And I'm going to say 98% of the people listening to this that feel like they're carrying around something that is unique to them and that they can't share. What do you say to those folks, Nick? Lean in and open up. This is Mike Bassett with Legal Grounds. Be easy, everybody. Legal Grounds was written, recorded, and produced by Dust Devil Press. To learn more about today's guest, and for links to the topics and materials discussed, please check out our show notes. For more information on Mike Bassett, visit thebassettfirm.com. Questions, topic ideas, and guest suggestions can be emailed to legalgrounds at thebassettfirm.com. 